Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the North Carolina Study Center podcast. My name is Matt Hain, and we're continuing our series today on C.S. Lewis's text, The Abolition of Man. For our lead-in today, I'd like to begin with a short passage from Scripture. This comes from Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul here writes, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. One New Testament scholar writes in his commentary on this passage, quote, In Paul's thinking, everyone, including unbelievers, has a conscience. In Paul's thinking, everyone can discern to some extent the difference between the good and the evil. The general notion of an innate, unwritten law was in the air in Paul's day, and Paul's use of that notion here in Romans 2 is likely. Now, in theological language, this uh, is often referred to as what's called general revelation. General revelation. So God, on the one hand, has given his special revelation in Scripture, uh, first to the Jews, then to the church and to Christians today. Uh, God has revealed unique things about his nature through his word, which is specially given to his people. However, on the other hand, he has also revealed himself generally, Uh, Every person has access to some level of knowledge of God through reflection on the natural world. Paul talks about how God's power and invisible qualities can be known through uh, things in nature. He describes this elsewhere in Romans. And also here in Romans 2, he focuses on conscience. The conscience is another way that God has generally generally revealed himself uh, to each and every person. So to give an example of this distinction, take the statement, it is honorable to return good to one who does good to you. This would belong to the category of general revelation. Virtually every human being uh, across time and space and culture has innately discovered and believed in something very much like this principle. It is honorable to return good to one who does good to you. That is kind of universally assented to. It's revealed through reflection and conscience, and it's generally available. Now take the other statement, uh, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. This comes from Jesus in scripture, so it belongs to special revelation. This is not a standard that you would come up with through mere conscience or reflection. Um, It's something that God has specially revealed through his word to his people. Now we begin here today because you may recall from previous episodes of this podcast series that Abolition of Man is an ongoing strident critique of those of, by C.S. Lewis of those in his day who would deny the existence of general revelation. These men that Lewis is writing against, uh, they were contending that all value judgments, all beliefs are ultimately merely subjective. Uh, they can be reduced to mere subjective preference. So take the statement from before, it is honorable to return good to one who does good to you. The men Lewis is writing against in Abolition of Man would debunk this by arguing that there is no such thing as an innately honorable action. There is merely the subjective feeling that a certain action is honorable. In other words, it is impossible for our emotions or actions to conform to objective reality. In this view, there is no objective reality. Uh, Thus, our emotions and our actions are mere projections of our own personal subjectivity. Over and against this view, Lewis argues for something very much like general revelation. In Abolition of Man, he is making an extended argument for the existence of universal standards of right and wrong. Now, he uses a lot of different terms interchangeably to describe this. Uh, These include natural law, traditional morality, 
First Principles of Practical Reason, First Platitudes, and The Way. His most common term for this, though, throughout Abolition of Man is the Tao, T-A-O. He titles one of the chapters this, and he defines the Tao as the reality beyond all predicates. This, is, this word is interchangeable with natural law, traditional morality, etc. Lewis contends that at the core of reality, at the fundamental basis of the universe and human existence, there is a universal strand, a common ethical code that can be traced across time and space and culture. Because of the Tao, actions and sentiments that we have can correspond to reality and therefore can be considered objectively right and good and fitting, or on the other hand, wrong or bad or unfitting. To say that it is, for example, good to die for a just cause, this is not merely me expressing an opinion. For Lewis, this is to state a fact that is in accordance with the Tao. Lewis cites an incredibly wide variety of sources throughout Abolition of Man in defending this notion of the Tao. He wants to show that this uh, principle can be traced across time and space and culture. And so his citations range from Plato and Aristotle to Jesus to Hinduism and Confucianism to John Locke and the Enlightenment. Lewis believes a common strand of moral truth can be traced across all of these disparate voices. Now, this is you know, recognizably a controversial position that Lewis is staking out, and he anticipates several objections. So his account of the Tao is nuanced. He does a good job of anticipating his objectors and responding to them. He acknowledges that morality has varied widely across time and place and culture. So for Lewis, the Tao does not mean that every culture has identical moralities. Uh, rather, what it means is that every culture uh, of all time has recognized that there is such a thing as objective morality, right and wrong. They may disagree on the boundaries and the contents of what goes in the right column and the wrong column, but all cultures have agreed that there is such a thing as traditional morality, right and wrong. Lewis is also careful to, over, to avoid over-specificity when filling out the moral contents that comprise the Tao. He gives some broad outlines of what he considers to be the Tao in the appendix to Abolition of Man, but he's more focused throughout the work on theoretically arguing for the existence of the Tao rather than on filling out the precise contents that make up the Tao. Well, let's, let's leave this up to our, com- to our context today. To what degree does our society today still live within the Tao, as Lewis says? Many commentators have described our culture as postmodern, uh, meaning post-truth or um, relative. And so this, this does raise the question as you read Abolition of Man today, is the Tao an outdated concept in our society? Um, have we exchanged the Tao for relativism, or is there something still like the Tao that operates in our culture and in our society? I would suggest that the answer to this question is complex. Uh, it's yes and no. It's, it's both. Um, we are, in one sense, living, under, living after what philosopher Charles Taylor has, refers to as the subjective turn. Um, we've made the turn from ob- objectivity and the search for objectivity to acceptance of subjectivity. We're more conscious today than ever of how background and experience and perspective shape outlook And we're therefore more reticent than ever to make claims of universal application or of objective uh, truth. Um, We're very hesitant to do this, and some of that is rightfully so. Uh, Natural law theorizing, there is a a noble tradition of natural law thinking. Um, However, it's taken a blow in recent years in many university settings and in our political institutions. 
So in some ways, you could say the Tao is on the outs in academic and political settings. Uh, in many ways, belief in the Tao is a minority position today, I would contend, uh, and an increasingly minority position at that. Reading Lewis's work today is probably even more uncomfortable for many than it would have been in 1943 when he first published it. Now consider this on the other hand. I said, you know, the answer is both yes and no. The Tao is both, we are still within it and we're without it. Um, I would say on the other hand that many of those today who passionately, most passionately proclaim things like subjectivism and cultural relativism, uh, these folks are also often the most dogmatic about their own dearly held beliefs. So when reformers and those who want to improve society argue for a greater degree of justice in society, when we make appeals to justice, uh, or when we make passionate uh, proclamations of human rights, that human rights are good, that they exist, that they should be defended. Uh, when we do this, we do not view ourselves as merely expressing our subjective preferences. We don't want to reduce or have our statements reduced to our mere opinion. We think these things are actually true about reality and about human existence. Um, we intend to speak about objective reality and not merely personal sentiments when we say such things. So it seems that relativism and subjectivism is a difficult or maybe impossible position to hold consistently. Uh, you know, that's precisely the point that Lewis wants to make in Abolition of Man, Chapter 2. Um, subjectivism, there's some insights to be gleaned from it. There are some benefits that come from um, appreciating its insights. However, no one can be a pure subjectivist. No one can be a true postmodernist, according to Lewis. According to Lewis, the Tao is inevitable. Uh, whether you like it or not, he thinks you can't escape it because it's a given feature of objective reality. For Christians, uh, for those of us who are Christians, we do believe that at the basis of existence, at the fundamental core of the universe, there is firm truth. To return to Romans 2, uh, our God has revealed himself through the things he has made, uh, including creation and the human conscience. And because of this, Lewis is a wonderful guide. Reading Abolition of Man today is an excellent tool for showing us as Christians in the 21st century uh, how the Tao gives us an open door to engage with our colleagues and neighbors and pointing them towards truth as well. Uh, deep conversations can be had about life, meaning, truth, existence uh, with this concept of the Tao. I hope you've enjoyed this and it's given you something to uh, think about for today. If this piques an interest and you'd like to join us for the reading group, uh, we'd love to have you and uh, feel free to reach out and we'll give you the information. Until next time, uh, thanks for joining.